Hi everyone, this is Haley from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Aaron Fesser, lecturer at Arizona State University and Director of Education for Naraxon USA, and Coleman Bessert, Naraxon's Director of Biomechanics. Through this Q&A session, they deep dive into the fundamental pillar of biomechanics, electromyography, or EMG. Aaron and Coleman cover signal origin, acquisition, processing, and analysis for a comprehensive and practical understanding of EMG research and assessment. Let's get started. study the progressive recruitment of type 2 muscle fibers during heavy exercise with EMG. Right. So I think that touches on our fatigue our fatigue analysis. So understanding that type 2 muscle fibers fire at a certain rate and as you go through a certain exercise regime and become fatigued, that rate is going to slow. We can start to understand what those effects are on that specific fiber type since we know what firing frequencies those are at. So I would use frequency analysis for that. Does that Mm -hmm. sound right? Yep. Great, thank you. And John asked, what are the deciding factors in how you determine onset and offset of muscle activation with thresholds or signal processing? Sure. So I would highly recommend applying approach significant or uh, related to your exact recording situation, because you're going to want to find a value that you feel very comfortable with as the threshold for that recording and for that muscle group. The technique that I use in the example that I showed earlier is to average out the amplitude during the kind of baseline portion when the person's standing still and then determining the standard deviation away from that and confirming that's not going to be higher than a peak within that value itself and using that as the threshold. So finding a standard deviation of your baseline recording. Okay, perfect. For MVIC tests, do you report the max value recorded or an average over a max contraction measured during the test? Yes. So I was going to clarify, that would be the maximum voluntary isometric contraction. I've had, I will use a, like a gliding window technique. And so the signal is processed just the same as I regularly process. However, I might adjust the time window since it's isometric. And then that's one really cool thing within the software. And then I can actually go back and confirm when I've done the NBC trials, it will highlight the section in which it detected the highest window and then we'll use that value as the reference value. So I can always go back and check and you could certainly do it on your own and export the data and do it on your own, but I'll use a time window. Okay. Could force plate data be used or be synchronized with other biomechanic modalities? Oh, great question. Yes. (laughs) So that's one great piece of our platform is that, you know, depending on where you're at and what you need, you can, for the most part, bring in any type of data natively within our software. And then anything that is additional or on top of that, we can always bring in analog signals. So whether it's force plates, high-speed cameras, whether that's, you know, inside a traditional biomechanics lab, or you need to take our portable lab outside and record data on elite sprinters, which Aaron may or may not be doing, Mm -hmm. all that's possible. So you can get you can combine motion capture with EMG, with high-speed video, 
as well as force and pressure sensors all within the software. So it's streamlining that process for the researcher. Yeah, and the way it kind of functions is almost, I don't know if your perspective is this way too, Coleman, but within that the software that you guys develop, more like a plug and play, like for this mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. recording situation, I'm gonna pull in two cameras and my force plate, and then I'm gonna have four channels of EMG. Mm-hmm. And I stick them in there really quickly and then I'm good to go. So that makes it for a quick change out or add in yeah. of your recording. Yeah, and it's such a time saver in terms of not having to reconfigure or identify each time. But that combination really, I've when I was going through my master's degree was all done by hand in MATLAB. So having the opportunity to do it live and be able to combine everything naturally is, mm-hmm. is, yep. is good. Great, thanks guys. Jenny is wondering about what is the best way of reducing motion artifacts during walking? So the best way is going to be, strangely enough, is skin prep. So if you imagine a voltage is generated based off of a current and resistance, right? V equals IR. If you have a bigger resistance, there's going to be larger modulations in that voltage. So trying to reduce that kind of baseline noise or impedance level as much as possible is going to help result in a better signal quality, even if there's motion artifacts. And then if that doesn't solve it completely, you can always use uh, Coban to strap it down even more. And then if that doesn't resolve, then there's always signal processing techniques like filtering to get that kind of gate speed baseline drift out of the signal. A couple of things you can do. Okay. And a couple of people have asked about any tips or best practices that you guys can share regarding skin prep. Yeah. So usually you start with abrasion. So trying to get rid of all those dead skin cells, then you clean the area with kind of an alcohol swab to, re- to remove those dead skin cells from the area. And then that's when you would put the electrode on, but sometimes you want to put a little bit of uh, hydrogel between the electrode and the uh, skin for better conductance. So hydrating that skin will also reduce the resistance, at which point that's about as deep as you can go. But it should look, after the abrasion, it should look a little pink, mm-hmm. almost like a rug burn. That is kind of the visual indicator for low impedance. Yes. Okay. Alan wanted to know, how can we reduce impedance in subjects with thick subcutaneous fat tissue? Is there a cutoff skin fold thickness for EMG measurement? There, I mean, you're still going to get a voltage. It's just going to be a bit noisier. Dealing with that is going to be a little bit more manual of a process to define what those filtering criteria are. But I mean, they, you know, the higher body composition individuals are still activating at a certain level and it's important to understand how they're doing it. So I I would say that there's not a cutoff. It's just going to be dependent on what you're willing to include within your research. So if it's focused around difference in body comp, then I would suggest maintaining, you know, that population. But if it's more around elite performance and you only want to focus on like more movement quality and activation patterns, maybe it's a criteria of the study that you exclude. 
So it's really more around your research protocol, I would say. Okay. Katya is, has asked a, a bit more of a specific question. If you have a patient that is unable to perform maximum muscle contraction, what could you use instead to normalize your data? Yeah, so you could do a within trial normalized to the max of that trial. Or you might be able to produce, would call it something different, but the maximum activation of the day. So if it's inappropriate to ask them to do a max act activation, even though you could be fairly confident it's not going to be of max effort, it's just the maximum activation for that day, then I would suggest normalizing to an internal peak or high um, value. Yeah. And I think the biggest takeaway on that is knowing what you're normalizing to whether it's a MVC, like a max MVC or a relative norm, that or not norm, relative level, you know, even a max MVC of a certain type of movement might not be a true max MVC, like max contraction. Yep. As long as you are well aware of how you're standardizing your normalization, I think that's one of the bigger pieces. There. Yeah, just the, the situation you're in. So it's not something you can do in that situation fully. Right. Okay, perfect. And one last question. Cindy wants to know, she has some older equipment in her university lab and she would like to update. Can her students get software licenses? Yes. And she can update her equipment. So if they would like, if anyone wants to reach out and, you know, contact, contact Inside Scientific or us directly, we'd be more than happy to help uh, facilitate student licenses for our software. But also, you know, if there's exploration phase of you know, upgrading the equipment. Like I said, there's a new EMG system coming out. We have a demo or it had a few examples here today. And then we also have our portable system, which complements a traditional biomechanics lab really well when you need to get outside and meet the subjects where they naturally perform, whether that's on the field, in a hospital, mm -hmm. wherever. So all of that can be, you know, directed towards us and we'd be more than happy to walk everyone through it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.